0: We ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. um, Which was, there's no such thing as a fish. (laughs) You mean there's no such thing as a fish? No, seriously. It's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph no such thing as a fish.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with four other elves. I've got Andy Murray, James Harkin, Anna Chizinski, and on fact-checking duties, Alex Bell. So once again, we've gathered around the microphone with our favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Anna, fact number one.
2: My fact is that made-in-Germany product labels were originally intended to put people off buying the product. It was a law passed in England in 1887 which forced foreign companies to put labels saying where the product had been made on their items because... British companies were worried about German knockoff products flooding their market and being cheap uh, and tacky.
3: typical inferior Germans. Exactly. Their poor manufacturing base. <laughs> Terrible footballing skills.
2: Apparently <laughs> <laughs> it was mainly to save the Sheffield cutlery industry. Obviously it's ironic because wow. made in Germany it very, very quickly became a stamp of yeah. very high quality. So true
0: Fanta is German. It became popular during Nazi uh, regime. It okay. wasn't invented specifically for it. That's oh, I thought Hitler
1: think. commissioned it. I thought he no, wanted, like, no. a German soft drink. <laughs> That's he was what like... people
0: think, but it became popular then, but it wasn't invented specifically oh, right. by Hitler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be surprising. Um, I find it very weird when countries decide that their products have to be patriotic. Or, yeah. like, you know the classic thing during the war in Iraq when America and France fell out? Oh, yeah. that Freedom mm-hmm. Fries became the thing. And I love the story of Freedom <laughs> Fries because it was one guy, it was a Republican chairman called Bob Ney. And he renamed the menus of three congressional cafeterias with freedom fries. That's how it started. And then so it just
0: spread from that.
1: Yeah, and he didn't need to tell anyone about it because he has control over the cafeterias. So he just said, "This is happening," <laughs> wow. and so they changed it. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's he has control.
3: Yeah. Fascistic imposition of yeah. freedom-based food names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did read a reference to supposedly French kissing a couple of. Real zealots decided they were now going to do only freedom kissing. I don't think that caught on either. I well, freedom something... toast as well for a French toast. He also, he also changed that on the menu. And that didn't get as much press. I don't freedom know. Bread. Why. You can like, make the substitution for anything, that, which is French. New freedom movie starring Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. <laughs> Dawn Freedom, of course, famous British comedian.
0: <laughs> Apparently, they um, boycotted French's mustard even though it's owned by a British company and it's named yeah. after an American guy called Mr. French.
1: Huh, that's right, he actually came out and
0: said, please don't boycott us, it's just its a surname of our family. <laughs> Have you guys heard of Star Spangled Ice Cream? Yeah. We no. heard this, this is brilliant. So it was conservative Americans had an ice cream company and they gave their ice creams punning names. So for instance, the mint ice cream was called Smaller Government Mint. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so can you guess what the chocolate ice cream was called during the bombardment of Afghanistan? Well, it was called choc and uh, uh, awe okay. Even better, the vanilla ice cream was mm. called I hate the French vanilla. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it gets
0: right to the point.
1: Just back to the uh, Freedom Fries thing very quickly. It was really nice. There was a counter. So when people were doing the Freedom Fries thing, there was a cafe... Uh, in Santa Cruz which changed their menu of fries to impeach George W. Bush fries <laughs> which is a <laughs> really nice response to that
2: Speaking of labels there are these American handbags Tom Bin handbags and they have washing instructions on, in English and French that were made during the Bush era and the English ones are perfectly normal and then when you read them in French they say do not bleach do not dry and dryer, do not iron we are sorry our president is an idiot we did not vote for him <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> on all the bags That's
3: great That's lovely In the First World War Exactly the same thing happened with all German-named products in the USA. So sauerkraut was called Liberty Cabbage. And that was renamed as a result of a delegation petitioning the Federal Food Administration. They said that sauerkraut consumption had decreased by 75% since 1914 over the course of the war. And they said, look, we've got 400 tons of it in New York alone on our hands. Please rename it so that we can actually sell some of this stuff. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. German measles became Liberty measles.
2: Yeah. Makes Uh, them sound more fun than that. Although that's
3: sort of on the fringe of, you know, freedom kissing or whatever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about on Germany, because obviously made in Germany now is something that's associated with high quality, and in fact the obverse to my original fact, which is that made in Germany was imposed on the Germans by the English, now the EU regulations are saying that labelling should be more accurate, so if actually most of the work on a product is done in Bangladesh and the most expensive part comes from India, then you're not allowed to say made in Germany because you're a German company, and Germans are saying that's really unfair, one of the reasons people buy our products is because it says made in Germany because they're really good. Mm. Anyway, this is a long-winded way of saying German economy is great and maybe has something to do with the fact that their word for borrow is the same as their word for guilt. So they obviously have really, really good borrowing rates. Wow. Personal borrowing is very low. Because it's shameful. To it's borrow. shameful. Every time you borrow, you, get a, you have to say the word Guilt.
0: That was a really roundabout way of... It was, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> Good. I think I wanted to inform people about the EU regulation at the same time as rounding it off. With... No one can
1: say you didn't do that. I think I did. So I was looking into uh, Made in China as a as a label. I was really surprised by stuff that they produce.
3: 85% of all artificial Christmas trees are from China. Well, oh, really. Other things that are made in China, the US uh, uniforms for the 2012 Olympics... Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. and also in 2008, police in China said they discovered a factory making free Tibet flags.
4: <laughs> uh, <and the>
3: work- <laughs> yeah, but they, they, and apparently the workers at the factory said they thought they were just making colourful flags. They didn't know the significance of them.
2: So the Made in China label is exactly the same as Made in Germany, as in Japan forced it on the Chinese to say, to discourage oh, really? people from buying Chinese products ah. shortly afterwards. No way. Oh. Um, um, I quite like funny labels on stuff, and I just remembered that the iPod Shuffle, when it first came out on its little safety label, said, do not eat iPod Shuffle, which was useful. <laughs> <I wonder laughs> My sister bought
1: a um, pram for um, her first kid, Sophia, and uh, it was this huge box, and on the side of the box it has a picture of a baby saying, baby not included. And I can't <laughs> tell if it was a joke or That's if funny. it was... Yeah. All right, we should wrap up on this one. Alex, have you got anything to add? Going back to
4: soft drinks, um, Fanta was invented actually by Coca-Cola because they couldn't import their syrup into Nazi Germany, Uh. so they were trying to make up a drink using the leftovers that were available. Okay, time for
1: fact number two, and that is my fact. And my fact this week is in 1991, a professor at Iowa State University proposed that we could solve virtually every problem of human existence by blowing up the moon. Not every problem. This is
3: what he said. Not losing the remote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that was included. I think he went literally through. Wow.
2: So what problems are we solving and how?
1: Well, the problems range from weather problems to famine to disease... Now, it has been pointed out by most scientists alive that this is not the case. It would not solve the problems. In fact, NASA was saying that if we did blow up the moon, most likely part of the exploded moon would come back as a meteorite impacting on Earth and causing sufficient damage to extinguish extinguish all life. So actually, slightly the reverse effect of what well, he said.
3: No, it kind of would solve all our problems. To be the, gone, yeah. we wouldn't have any problems anymore. That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He thought, and his name was Professor Alexander Abian, his idea was that you would do it remotely from Earth, so you would put explosives into the moon and just push a button. When did you it's say massive. you said that? In- 1991.
2: Oh, right. Oh. It's quite recent, then. Yeah, Recent yeah.
1: enough to know better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's, he's dead now, unfortunately. Uh, and his children say that he was a very sane man. So okay. this is not sure. this is not as if he was a lunatic. He was a very much loved mathematics professor at his university.
2: There have been a lot of wacky suggestions about how to save the world over the years, haven't there? Some of them you've got to admire, and apparently they, some of them could work. So one idea is that we wrap Greenland up in a blanket. <laughs> have you guys read this? No, no. <laughs> so the problem is so all, the, all the Greenland's ice is melting. That's obviously a bit of an issue. So in 2009... A bunch of geoengineers covered Greenland in this big white blanket, and it's meant to reflect the sun, so it means that the sun doesn't heat up and melt the ice. And um, it was surprisingly successful, more successful than predicted, but it would cost about a trillion dollars to do it to the entirety of Greenland. Pretty weird. It's
0: strange that putting a duvet on something
2: would cool it down. Yeah, is. You'd think it
0: would just melt it. Mm.
2: But in a hot country, if you go on, if you've got the sun blazing in on you, and you hide under a duvet, I think Greenland it works, is it? not a very hot country. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's a
0: fair point. So does the theory work or not?
2: Yeah, it did work, but it's just that it's way too expensive
0: to be at all feasible. Yeah. Um, My favourite fact about Greenland is that um, until quite recently, ten uh, percent of the whole population lived in the same apartment block.
2: <laughs>
3: what? No, one one percent. Was it one okay. percent? Yeah. It was something mm-hmm. like four hundred people out of forty thousand, I think. Yeah. yeah, something like that. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's really cool. It's called cool. Block
0: K, I think, or something like that. Block P. Block God, e. I got that completely wrong, didn't I? <laughs> I knew there was a fact in there somewhere. So, did we work out what kind of problems he was going to solve? It
1: was one of those things where he kind of just made the statement. He didn't publish a paper on it or anything. He just kind of loosely gave the territories. And it was stuff like the weather pattern. He didn't really go into it Types. much, though.
2: High t- being cut off at high tide on a beach is always yeah, a nightmare. That's always a nightmare. That's going to stop.
1: Yeah. Losing your remote. That was a big part <laughs> yep. of uh, his decision. Would
3: there, would there be any tides left without the moon?
0: Yeah, because the sun does, is, has tidal forces. So there are the solar earth. tides as well. Yeah, it just would weaker. mean that it would be high tide at, at midday every day. Everywhere in the world where wow. you were, if it was midday, it'd be high tide. Oh, that's
3: so boring. It's like decimalization, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so dull.
2: No. All those tide timetables that yeah, have to be reprinted as well. Exactly
3: the crazy pounds shilling and pence world of the moon yeah mm. <laughs>
0: mollusks reproductive organs grow and shrink according to the phases of the moon so if there was no moon would they stay big or stay small?
3: It depends when you blew up the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so there'd be a powerful lobby from the mollusk community to blow it up when
2: they were big. Is that like, that's like the wind changing? <laughs> when the moon blows up, your You'll face... you stuck that way. Your testicle will remain the same size forever. No. I think we shouldn't be too judgmental, though, should we? Because he, I think he... Is that what he was called? When he died, he said, those critics who dismissed my ideas are very close to those who dismissed Galileo. And it was true, you know, when Galileo was thinking that. So maybe Mm. 300 years when the moon's just in shattered pieces across the universe.
3: I don't think Galileo ever proposed blowing up the moon. (laughs) It
2: wasn't (laughs) smart enough.
3: Call me, Captain Skeptical.
0: (laughs) There Uh, was a plan to do a nuclear explosion on the moon, wasn't there, by America, uh, as a show of might to the Russians. Wow. Yeah, it was like a PR exercise.
3: God, that is fascinating. Sort of pointlessly exploding something. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't just have blown show. up the moon. It would
0: have no. just made a bit of a flash. The idea was the Russians would look up and go, oh, my God, they blew up a bit of the moon. They must be a lot better than us. Yeah. Oh, they've got
2: terrible aim. Yeah. <laughs> were they trying to hit us there? Right there. <laughs> Western
0: <laughs> Europe, come on, they
3: can't hit a band or... <laughs>
1: yeah. I, of course... Um,
0: <laughs> no. oh, I'm shaking my head because I know Dan is going to say something about Yetis or vampires. No, it's or...
1: my favourite book of recent times that I purchased, Go which on. is called Who Built the Moon? Oh, and, it's, and it's a really lovely theory that um, the moon is artificial because back when the rocks were originally brought back from NASA's Apollo 11 mission, the geologists who were studying the rocks said, "This,
0: this says made in China." Right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: No it, uh, they, they said that basically the moon is just it's such a weird thing, the moon, the way it sits, the position it sits in, the perfectness of the distance between the sun and the earth and uh, and just all the features that it, that it allows for the tides and all that its just it's easier to to prove it doesn't exist than to prove it does exist.
0: Um, there are t- people called ecosexuals. Do you know about these guys No. what's an so, hang on: uh, Is it
3: people who like having sex with the planet?
0: Yes, in a way. Ah, uh, um, there are people who have married the moon. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. There were also people who married the Earth, and they interviewed these people, and they said there were 450 of us, and we're all married to the Earth. Has anyone had a divorce to the Earth because they fell <laughs> in love with the moon? and had a little- <laughs> I don't think so. Because actually, these people who married the moon and married the Earth... They also uh, married the Appalachian Mountains and some snow in Ottawa. I'm tiring of these people. And when they go <laughs> to Spain later this summer, according to the news report, they plan to marry some hunks of coal in the city of Gijon. <laughs> hunks these people of coal. are these
3: people are alive now.
0: Oh, they're man. all
2: so they're all sluts basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just yeah, imagine, putting themselves out there left, right, and centre.
3: the wedding ceremony though, where you've got. The person standing on one side of the altar and the entire earth on the other side of the altar. Yeah. Where do the guests sit? <laughs> or a mountain range. <laughs> yeah. You, you may now a- kiss yeah. the snow. Yeah. <laughs> the wedding ended tragically early when the groom melted. <laughs> so,
1: could we survive without the moon? Is that uh, at all um, possible?
0: I
3: don't think so. I doubt
0: so. it. There would be earthquakes, wouldn't there? And, and volcanoes. Yeah. and.
3: One theory is that the Earth's rotational axis as if it just disappeared that the Earth's rotational axis would uh, go way off and provoke drastic climate change.
0: Oh yeah, because doesn't the um, Moon stop us from wobbling like there's a natural wobble of planets and because we have the Moon it steadies the Earth and without that I think it would cause dramatic climate change Yeah, probably like what happened to Mars Oh really? I think so like as in we would end up with no atmosphere. We are so lucky Um, to
3: have the Moon
2: Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Moon. Then
3: your friend, Dan, is trying to destroy it. (laughs) No,
1: he wants to help. (laughs) There's an amazing thing, and Alex, you'll probably have to help me find the proper facts about this, but there was a story about when Apollo 10 went around the backside of the moon. So you know how you lose contact with the Earth because you can't get any signal. Yes. It's like O two 2 on a regular day. It's like this is just terrible <laughs> signal. So they have a few minutes behind the moon. And the astronauts in Apollo 10, as they were going around the moon, they started hearing this amazing orchestra and they couldn't explain it. And what's really interesting is it's only recently that they've declassified these papers. And the conversation that they had was they were going, we can't tell everyone back on Earth that we're hearing this because they just won't believe us. That will be our career over if we suddenly claim to hear this orchestra. It took them years to work out what it was. It turns out that it was a beam that was coming off from Saturn, I think it was. Um, Alec, you might have to help me on that one there.
4: I, can find, I found a video that, about the, the the phenomenon and it obviously happened, but I can't find anything about an explanation. Eugene Sennan described it several times as an outer spacey style type music. He
0: probably just swallowed his iPod Nano. <laughs>
2: Patrick Moore was a keen keen musician. Was he? He was a glockenspiel player. A xylophonist. Don't confuse glockenspiels and xylophones. He played a really fun prank in 1976 on April the 1st, because obviously he did his radio program, what was it called? Sky at night Sky at night but on April the 1st 1976 Patrick Moore told a radio audience that unusual planetary alignment would cause people on earth to weigh a little bit less at 9.47 in the morning and that if, if everyone jumped in the air they'd experience a strange sensation of weightlessness lots of people oh. did it and they immediately called up the radio to say hey it happened I felt it I was weightless for a second yeah
1: people claim they actually levitated yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah.
3: great it's such a good hoax I love it
2: I like the fact that the first player to person to play golf probably the only person to play golf on the moon Alan Shepard Leopard, missed it on his first attempt. Kind of well, missed the his that, shot. Yeah, he missed the shot. Wow! Uh, to right. be fair, he was in a spacesuit, which I guess it's hard to hit a golf
3: yeah. ball. One, one thing I really, really like is that when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin first landed on the moon, they just landed. Uh, NASA got in touch with them and ordered them to ha- eat a meal and go to sleep. Yeah. Can you imagine having just landed on the moon and being told to go to bed? Let's
2: have a nap. <laughs> yeah, let's have a nap. <laughs> Can we get to the moon. This is imagine. what we do.
3: We don't deserve to be contacted by other
2: species. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, time for fact
0: number three, and that is James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is um, something I read on mentalfloss.com, and it is that in New York City until 1925, drivers going east or west stopped at an amber light and drove on green, while drivers going north or south drove on an amber light and stopped on green.
1: Wow. So it was it was like a traffic light that had no
0: back. Yeah, you could see it from all different directions. So, But you'd have to know whether you're going
3: east or west or north or south, which sounds... But in yeah. New York, I suppose that's easier than London, which has no grid system for most of it. Yeah, so. Easier. Less easier. easy than
2: just saying, across the city, red means stop.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why did they do? They must have had a
0: reason for splitting it up like that. I don't know. I think it's because they, are on, they use the same lights for... People going in each direction. Wow. So when it was on amber, these guys could go, and when it was on green, these guys could go. But it was the same
2: Good thing there were no diagonals in New York as well. Yeah. What the hell do they do? <laughs> That's um,
3: true. Similar kind of thing. In London, the circle line on the Underground used to be owned by two different companies, i.e., the clockwise bit was owned by one, and the anti clockwise was owned by another. Wow. And you had to get a separate ticket from a different office. Sometimes the companies would try and sell you a ticket so you'd go around 30 stops their way rather than go back three stops with the other company. Wow. Genius. Sounds yeah. like
2: Journey Planner on TFL. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have to take seven items of transport to get there. Who is
3: it, Alex? Was it you yesterday who was
1: saying that the most popular tube journey is Covent Garden to Leicester Square? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, the okay. most
2: popular one and the shortest, is And it? the shortest. The most commonly travelled. Unless you take the anti-clockwise route, in which case <laughs> 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 it's a you really long get way. get your money's
0: worth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during the Cultural Revolution uh, in China, um, they wanted to change it so that green meant spot- stop and red meant go, because obviously red yeah. was a much more positive colour yeah. in those days. It's very strong What I colour. love about the Cultural Revolution, that fact about how um, they tried to kill all the sparrows because they were eating all the crops. Remember that?
3: I think that was the Great Leap Forward. Was it? Yes. It was under Mao, yeah. So, so what did like, they do? There were like
0: half a, half a billion sparrows in China, and they um, had a scheme where everyone was encouraged to kill them all. And so everyone killed all the sparrows, and then that's great because they're not eating the crops anymore but they didn't realise that actually the sparrows were eating all the insects that were eating the crops so mm-hmm. they got rid of the sparrows and then all the fa- all the crops yeah. died because they were eaten by insects instead
2: fools people never anticipate introductions and in culling people never seem to anticipate the natural knock-on effect no exactly even though it
0: happens every time yeah
2: I really like that guy who wanted to introduce to America every single bird mentioned in Shakespeare oh yeah and oh, yeah. he introduced tons of them and one of them is now the biggest pest in America and I can't remember skylin- which one it is
0: is it called skylin or something like that yeah something like that
2: skylin. Or yeah. Something like that. yeah. I
1: have an amazing sparrow fact that I found yesterday. I'm so glad this has come up. I read this in a Carl Sagan book. I was in foils and just flipped it open to a random page. And it was that sparrows' testicles are a millimeter long and weigh one milligram. Aww. Uh, so I tweeted that yesterday. And Case Molliker, who is oh, the yeah. Natural History Museum in Rotterdam's head curator, uh, he got back to me saying that in April and May, the sparrows' testicles will grow to the size of a kidney bean. Wow. Ooh. From
3: a,
0: a millimeter. A oh, my days. Yeah. That's like a... That's, what's like that? A, like a thousand like a molest- times. At a full moon. <laughs> I read yesterday that, on also on Testicle News... Oh, yeah. I, not, that wasn't the website. It was just <laughs> <laughs> so I read that hippos can hide their testicles around their body. <laughs> what? What, like okay, on their no, shoulder? Yeah, pocket <laughs> he, or... Yeah, no. What they can do is they can retract them up to a foot inside their body. And the reason that they do it is because when hippos used to fight each other, or when hippos do fight each other, they often go for the testicles. And so it's evolved as kind of an evolutionary way wow. of moving their testicles out of the way. And it's a real problem if you're trying to castrate them. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe hippos That's... have beaten you guys to it. You surely you wish that you'd evolved. Uh, it. Oh,
3: WWF wrestlers do it. That's the okay. Right. <laughs> this is. This goes back to uh, Ian Fleming because in one of his books, I think it's in "You Only Live Twice." Bond's getting his instructions from M, and M says, "Be careful of sumo wrestlers in Japan because they can all withdraw their testicles into their body." <laughs> well, and he... Why be careful? <laughs> Watch out for those testicle
0: retractors.
2: <laughs> You'll die of shock. There are going to be it. some
3: non-testicles where you expect to see testicles bond. <laughs> Just prepare yourself. But, but can I, they? I don't no. Think no, like, no I don't so know. humans
1: can't. No one can. No, but can't you? I've not tried. But yeah. I thought the idea was that, that they sort of shoved them into themselves. If I had a half hour with you, Andy, <laughs> and <laughs> I had you a, a lot of determination, <laughs> but I, I, the fact that I'm kind of uh, we've slightly jumped past, which I love way more, is that hippos kick each other in the balls. No, they bite.
0: Bite. bite their yeah, balls. Yeah, yeah. mm. Oh. Wow. Uh, because if you think about it, it's a good if you're fighting someone for um sexual reasons, as in you're trying to get the lady hippo, yeah, uh, then a good way of going against the guy is to bite his testicles off because then he can't mate with the female.
2: Two birds one stone. So you yeah. sort of cripple him and also one bird no stones. Two. B- <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I I think we should maybe go back to traffic lights. Yeah, Let's sure. Go back to <laughs> traffic
2: <laughs> lights. Um I was reading about the history of signs and when the two people who standardized signposts in the UK it's pretty thrilling reading um, were Jock Kinnear and Margaret Calvert in the 1950s but one of the things there was uproar about when they were standardising signposts was signs had usually been in capital letters and their proposal to put them in lowercase apparently oh. caused outrage in the sign making community are they in uppercase now I, I can't even sure I, are they they decided because it's easier to read from a distance because capitals can look all sort of the same if you're oh. at a distance oh. And they were tasked to find the most boring font available to them so it wasn't distracting for drivers. And what did they go with? And it's called motorist font. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that does sound boring, to be fair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I like the way that th- before they standardized it, they would have weird, like, signs. There was The sign for schools used to be a flaming torch of knowledge. It's oh. brilliant.
3: I want to live in a country where those are the symbols. It's great,
0: isn't it? But yeah, imagine
3: driving up the road and you see a flaming torch. <laughs> School
0: is not the first place you think. Danger, of. fire, turn yeah, around. Exactly. I mean, actually,
3: well, the sign Statue for schools of Liberty straight ahead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the sign for schools now. The girl in that picture is, or children crossing, is based on that the woman Margaret who standardised the schools. Oh, which really? I don't know how it's based on her because it's the most generic girl picture ever. Yeah, and the sign for farm animals is based on her family cow, which was called Patience. So now we know. That the oh, cow on those farm
1: signs wow. is called
4: patience.
1: Wonderful, um, Alex. Have you got anything to add?
4: Yes, a couple of things very quickly. Um, it was Eugene Schiefflin in uh, 1890 who released uh, a load of birds in Central Park. Mm-hmm. They were all mentioned in Shakespeare. He let uh, bullfinches, chaffinches. Uh, nightingales and, sh- uh, and skylocks uh, into the park but it was the starlings that he uh, released um, which have now grown to about population of about two billion yeah. Wow! A massive pest in British Columbia is the second largest producer of blueberries and they just eat all the blueberries <laughs> uh, so that's a bit of a nightmare uh, it was in You Only Live Twice that Bond was being taught how to be Japanese and his teacher told him that simuresis can retract their testicles but it's as far as I can tell a complete myth yeah. there's nothing behind <laughs> it, like if for artificially doing it or otherwise mm-hmm. um, again half an hour with me and Andy in a room <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, time for a final fact of the show And that is you, Andy Murray My fact is that there are companies Which lasso icebergs To stop them hitting oil rigs That's really good How cool is that? That's very cool So yeah. when
2: you say lasso Do they do the the cowboy thing If they just throw a rope at it?
3: They just throw a rope And they say yee And then they brand it Which doesn't work because It melts It melts <laughs> <laughs> it, It's not exactly like the cowboy thing but basically a ship circumnavigates an iceberg with a rope Uh see what i mean so it ties it on at one point it goes around the circumference and then reattaches it and just tows it no you you don't have to tow it more than a few degrees off course to ensure that it doesn't hit an oil rig but it's really clever and half the battle is in knowing where icebergs are and checking how they're floating and so they so they observe the sky or they observe the sea rather from the skies Mm -hmm. and check what's moving where if any icebergs do need to be moved then they, then they call either, a cowboy they call a cowboy
2: yeah that started, started
3: that started with the Titanic didn't it it was it was
1: the fact that the iceberg hitting the Titanic led to them going we need to monitor these things now and they started putting right. in place the yeah. system that we now have yeah. to work out where they all are yeah. the
2: International Ice Patrol which I just really like as a name a fantastic organisation yeah oh, organization? it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good but uh, I like the fact that yeah after the Titanic they were just a bunch of guys in boats were sent out to check where icebergs were so I assume they just kept crashing into I suppose. Okay. Well, there's one here. Uh, got another one. Got one.
1: You know, they have a photo or two photos that they think potentially were the, was the iceberg uh, that the Titanic crashed into. It's got red paint along the side, so there's two mm. icebergs that definitely had paint. And so the pictures were taken just for that reason, mm. uh, because they thought, oh, wow, how curious. They didn't know that the Titanic incident had happened, which sounds weird, but true. The two boats, mm. it was a German boat. They had no idea. I read an amazing article on Wired, which was a biography of the iceberg that hit the Titanic, as much as you could speculate. They reckon it started in Greenland. Basically, every year, there's about 15 to 30 icebergs that are carved from the glaciers, and they reckon only about 1% of those make it to the Atlantic. Um, and then they gradually melt, and so they eventually disappear. So had the Titanic been going a few years later, it might not have been there at all. I
0: kind of like the idea of the t- of the iceberg then going on to live a normal life yeah. with an yeah. <laughs> eco-sexual husband.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it would also have been 3,000 years old. Because yes. when, the, yeah. when it fell as snow oh, onto yeah. onto the Arctic, it would have been packed and then and then very slowly moved out from oh, the centre. That's an interesting
0: life to have nothing happen for 3,000 years, and yeah. then you run into the Titanic. Yeah. 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 His really? mates
2: must think he's super cool. That's the thing they were saying.
1: It was probably born as an iceberg, roughly at the same time as Tutankhamun. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's so nice that 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 was happening while, and then it just found its way down to the Atlantic yeah. and eventually just it's hit. Really, the, really, really yeah. amazing. I guess yeah. it could
0: be like, um, say, some sweat from Tutankhamun went up into the atmosphere. It turned into snow, <laughs> fell down, yeah. waited there for. 3,000 years and then hit the Titanic yeah. so our well, claim is that Tutankhamun, be...
2: Tutankhamun Which... sunk the Titanic well,
0: <laughs> that should be your good. fact Andy. that, that was is that conspiracy yeah, yeah no no no
1: but that was the big thing that there was what? stuff from it's a huge myth from back in the day that uh, Tutankhamun's uh, stuff from the Howard Carter finding was on the Titanic oh, and it was really? the
4: curse that okay. brought it down yeah
3: oh, okay. you, wow. you guys must know that that was one of the classic uh, childhood myths classic childhood yeah like that was a... other children were told bedtime stories Dan was told conspiracy theories yeah in his cradle <laughs> raised in terror the thing is Dan little Dan the lizards are behind it all <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: sleep well it is weird to think yeah you might have molecules of water that were in the titanic iceberg in you now do
0: you guys know about the world's largest iceberg no No. no. it's uh. about the size of Jamaica wow About half oh, wow. the size of Wales uh, and it carved off in the year 2000 and they think that there's probably still bits of it that haven't melted wow now.
3: That's that was that an Antarctic one? Uh,
0: yeah, it was called Iceberg B15. Catchy. <laughs> they don't they
1: don't have very creative names. Icebergs no. like hurricanes. They just they have B50, D12, D14,
2: D12. Do they rap a lot? They do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was looking at oil rigs. America's third-largest oil field is L.A. and it's completely concealed. So, if most oil fields you picture are like those big pylons, L.A. is full of secret oil rigs. So, L.A. started sort of hippifying around, I think, the 1930s, and people who had built these huge oil rig buildings—they're disguised as normal buildings in L.A. and they're all over Hollywood, wow. and there are just buildings all over L.A. which look like normal concrete buildings. And inside, they're sucking up—you know, hundreds of thousands of Very gallons much the of oil.
3: Transformers of the oil industry, aren't yeah. they? Uh,
0: towing an iceberg. They've done some computer models to see if it's um, feasible to tow an iceberg from um, the Arctic down to Africa to give people drinking water. And they think that you could take um, an iceberg from Newfoundland uh, to the northwest coast of Africa, it would take five months and would retain more than 60% of the iceberg's
3: mass. If it was the cheapest way, it might have been tried. Well, must they did be try
0: it. Yeah. Oh, did that they? It was tried. Wow. Yeah. In the second half of the 19th century, smaller icebergs were routinely taken up to Peru for refrigeration in the brewing business. God.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, from the South Pole? Uh, yes, from oh, the South Pole. I see.
2: So where do they keep them? Is there like a, an African harbour where they just have loads of icebergs sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> must look so bizarre. It's not only icebergs that we're lassoing. NASA is investing in a project to lasso an asteroid using a robotic space lasso. lassoing an asteroid into lunar orbit to make sure it orbits the moon so that it hopes that by 2025, we're going to be able to use it, astronauts will be able to use it as a way station from which to extract consumables on the way to Mars. That sounds so like
0: the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> We've already established that losing the moon would solve all our problems and now we're saying let's bring another moon in yeah
2: (laughs) a moon for the moon
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: that's it for this week's podcast thanks everyone for listening if you want to get in contact with any of us you can do so on our twitter accounts i'm on at shriverland james at eggshaped alex
2: at alex bell underscore
1: andy at andrew hunter m Anna. You
2: can email me on podcast at qi.com.
1: Or you can go to our qi.com slash podcast page where she and Alex compile all of the extra stuff that we've been talking about from this episode. And we're going to be back again next week with another episode. So stay tuned. We'll see you then. Goodbye.
0: Okay, everyone else has left apart from me and Anna. Uh, we're the only ones left in the office because everyone else has gone to Edinburgh but if you want to um, see any of the guys in Edinburgh you can see Andy he has two shows one is called ostentatious and the other is called Folia de and they are improvised comedy shows uh, and Dan will be doing his one-hour show which is called Cock Blocked from Outer space and he will also be producing the uh, Museum of Curiosity live so if anyone is in Edinburgh then go and catch those <laughs>